0: Oh, good, it is such a privilege to be back. As Stan mentioned, we were part of Vineyard for a season, and both Coast and Shore Vineyard have a really special place in our hearts as a family because you both provided a resting place for us in a season where God was rebuilding something that I'm going to be talking about this morning. I'm going to be talking about dreaming, and we were in a season where. A lot of our dreams felt like they had been shattered and broken and vineyard was a really special part of our healing process as a family. So it is a real privilege to be back. Thank you for having me back, Jacinda. It is really special to be here with you this morning. So I wanna take you back about 10, 11 years in my life and I was standing at our church's woman's retreat. I was part of the team who'd been organizing the day And my girlfriend was taking a practical workshop on making a dream collage. And she had all these magazines spread out and she'd given everybody paper and she was telling everybody, you know, just flick through these magazines, cut out words, cut out images that speak to you and make this dream collage. Where we were at, at that particular point in time, was we were broke. We were surviving on the bread boxes that our church distributed as our main food. We often didn't know how we would make rent. My husband had been unemployed for a couple of years. We were fostering. My husband was depressed. My nephew, who we were fostering, and I were both in therapy. Like, life was just hard, and life was very, very messy. And so I excused myself from this session and pretended that I had too many things to do behind the scenes, that I needed to get the next thing ready. Because honestly, dreaming didn't feel like something I could even entertain when we didn't know how we were going to pay our bills. And often I think that we think of dreaming in this way. We think that it's frivolous. We think that it belongs to people who have an abundance of time or an abundance of resource, that it has to be grandiose and it really is the territory of the visionary. But what I want to encourage us with today is that each and every one of us is created in the image of the ultimate dream giver. And it is actually our destiny as the people of God to prophesy, to see visions, and to dream dreams. And I want to read to you from Acts chapter 2. It says in verse 17, In the last day, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Not just the people whose life looks how they hoped it would, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Dreaming doesn't belong to a gender, it doesn't belong to a generation, it belongs to all of us as the people of God. He says, "'Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days.'" That is our birthright as the children of God, that we would be those who prophesy, who see visions, who dream dreams. But as I've already shared a snippet of my story with you, we all know that life opposes that, doesn't it? Whether it's because it's hard or just because we are so busy just trying to get through that endless to-do list, there's like no capacity in our brains to think about anything beyond right now, right here. And I want us today to look at the life of King David and a dream that he had to do something for God, a dream that God asked him to surrender and to let God reshape. And I want us to consider what can we learn from the life of King David about responding to God's invitation to be dreamers. We're going to spend most of the morning in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But I want to introduce it with how David, at the end of his life, described this dream that he had of building a temple for God. He says in First Chronicles 28 verse 2, I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. I had it in my heart. Our hearts are the soil from which dreams grow. The health of our hearts will often determine the ability that we have to dream with God. And there's a well-known proverb that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, back a decade ago, all my deferred hopes had caused my heart to become sick. It wasn't healthy enough to entertain the possibility of dreaming. And we're not going to have the opportunity today to dig into a whole lot about the soil of our hearts, but I did a message for you guys in January last year that really sums it up. So if you are here today and you're like, that's me, Amy, my heart is sick, you need to go to the COAST website, it's called Becoming Good Soil, and you can start your dreaming there. But I want us to dig into the invitations that dreaming extends to us. And the first is this, that it invites us to hope again. You know, my problem back then was I had been a good Christian girl. I had done everything that I thought the Bible told me to do. I'd saved myself for marriage. I'd been involved in my church. You know, I loved Jesus and I was ticking those lists. And I thought that one plus two should equal three. That that should guarantee me a blessed, picture-perfect life. You know, naive thinking. And so when my life didn't match up with my expectation, I didn't know what to do with that. But worse, when I didn't meet my expectations of myself in those situations, I became even more hopeless. When I saw my anger, when I saw my lack of self-control as a mum who was just pushed to the edge day after day, I was ashamed of the responses that I was capable of. So not only had life not met my expectations, I wasn't meeting my expectations. And so hope felt very futile. And what God has taught me is that hope which if we were to summarise all the original language, basically means a confident expectation of God's goodness. That our hope is not based on a predetermined expectation, a predetermined outcome. You know, like, I had thought if I saved myself for marriage, married my husband, was a good Christian girl, that we would have a happy life. And it would look a certain way, you know, white picket fences and red roses. And it was more like dishes and bills and endless laundry. You know, when we are like, if I do this, God will do this and it will look like this. When life doesn't fit that box, it's really easy to become disillusioned. And so, what I learned is that my expectation needed to shift onto who God is if I was going to be able to live with a confident expectation of His goodness. And what I want to say to you is hope is not escapism. It's not daydreaming. It's not a precursor to more disappointment because sometimes I think I won't get my hopes up because I don't want to be disappointed. God actually says, get your hopes up. In Hebrews chapter 6, the writer is talking to a group of believers who are suffering persecution and they are tired they are weary and they are being encouraged to be mature, to persevere. And what does the writer of Hebrews say to them is the antidote to their discouragement, to their tiredness? Hope. He says you are to lay hold of hope. Hope is your place of refuge. So hope isn't escapism, it isn't wishful thinking. When we respond to this invitation to dream with God and say, I am going to be a hope-filled person, We are laying hold of all that God is. You know, the example that Hebrews 6 gives is of Abraham. And the writer doesn't so much rehearse Abraham's story as he does who God is to Abraham. He talks about God as a promise-keeping, faithful God who cannot lie. And so when we are talking about having hope as we resurrect dreaming in our lives— We are like Abraham saying, my God is a promise-keeping, faithful God and he cannot lie. Therefore, I will not be discouraged. I will press on and I will lay hold of hope. As part of this, as part of resurrecting hope and dreaming in our lives, we are invited to know the greatness of God. We are gonna pick up in David's story now so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you, whether it's old-fashioned like me or an app. I'm a paper girl, like handwritten paper notes, Bibles. I can't do, I can't do iPads, sorry. <laughs> but we are going to pick up David's story in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And you're going to see God's invitation to him to know his greatness. So after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. So right there we have David's dream. I want to build a house that is worthy of God. But that night, the word word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Essentially, God's saying, David, this is a good idea, but it's actually not a God idea for you. He says, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed." Wicked people will not oppress them any more as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from your enemies. What does this all mean? How is God inviting us and David to know his greatness? What you have to understand is that Israel was surrounded by nations who worshipped gods that were housed by temples, and they had no power outside those places. And God is saying, I'm not like other gods. I cannot be contained. Wherever you have gone, I have been there. I go with my people, a house cannot seek to contain me. He's saying, I am so much bigger than what you understand about deity. Not only that, David you know, wants to build this house. Essentially, if we read the full accounts across 2 Samuel 7 and in 1 Chronicles, he wants to build a house that makes God's name great. It is an admirable desire. But God says, you know what, David? I'm the one who makes names great. And because I love you, I am going to be the one who makes your name great, not the other way around. God in these verses is beginning to expand David's understanding of who he is. And in my own journey, I've discovered that as we awaken to dreaming with God, God continually stretches our understanding. He continually teaches us new things about who he is. And those lessons, those things we discover about his character, they're the things that begin to heal the sickness in our hearts and make our hearts healthy and whole again. You know, this is a very familiar verse. I'm reading it from the Amplified in Ephesians 3 verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all we dare or ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams. You know, essentially, as we're going to see, David has this idea, and God blows it out of the water. He's like, that's a great idea, but my idea is even bigger than what you have had the capacity to imagine and dream of. According to His power that is at work within us to Him be the glory and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. You know, all of you here this morning have something in your heart. Maybe you haven't thought of it as a dream. It might be a desire you have for your family. It might be a desire that you have for your workplace, a skill that you have that you can imagine doing things with. And through that dream, God wants to do infinitely more. He wants you to know his power at work so that Jesus Christ might get the glory in the church where is the church we are the church God wants to get the glory through you but he's going to do it by expanding your understanding of his greatness so that other people don't look at the fulfillment of your dream and say wow that person's amazing they say wow God is amazing The next invitation as God expands our understanding of who he is is he also invites us to see the bigger picture. God goes on to say to David, The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish His kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. These verses that I've just read form what is known as the Davidic covenant. God was making an unconditional promise to David to establish his household throughout all the ages. And all the promises in these verses point to a Davidic king who would re- who would res- work out, sorry, brain freeze there, who will secure the prior covenantal promises that have been given to Abraham and Moses of land and descendants and blessings. So God is beginning to bring everything he's already spoken together. And he's saying to David, through your line, I'm going to birth the Messiah, the one who is able to make sure that every promise I have given to you will be fulfilled. And that's why in the New Testament, we start with genealogies to prove that Jesus is the son of David, because the gospel writers are establishing for us, this is the Davidic king who will fulfill God's covenantal promises. So that's the context. These verses are so important and so rich. But what they remind us of is we often think individualistically and temporally. We think about our own life. And so if things aren't happening in our lifetime, again, that disappointment sets in. We're disillusioned. We wonder why we're bothering. But God, he thinks generationally and eternally. And what we see throughout the narrative of scripture is he would speak something to one generation and he would fulfill it in another. He works across time and outside of time. And that is another reason that we can be hope-filled dreamers, because God doesn't need to fulfill everything in our finite years. He has all of eternity to outwork his promises and ultimately his dreams. So David was thinking about what he could do. I'm going to build a house. God was thinking about what his family could do. David was concerned with his family. He did want to establish a line and a legacy But God wanted to build a family line that would stretch into eternity, a family line that you and I get to be part of. In Christ, in these verses, we see everything that David was thinking and dreaming about being expanded. I will establish his kingdom. There's a duality going on in these verses that God is thinking about David's son Solomon, that Solomon would be the one who got to build the temple, but he's also talking about Christ, that I am going to establish the kingdom of my son, and he's going to build a house. You know, David is thinking bricks and mortar, but God is thinking stones of living people. So everything in these verses is not only a promise to David, it is a promise to God's people. It is foreshadowing Jesus the Messiah, the one who would bring these promises to fulfillment. And we even see his death and his sacrifice and suffering foreshadowed in these verses as well with the rod of men and the floggings inflicted by us. So as God says to David, you don't get to do this thing he invites him to see a bigger picture. And there's an invitation in this that I haven't actually called an invitation, so just so the PowerPoint people don't panic. There's an invitation to surrender. Because David was king. David could have said, well, I want to build this house and I'm going to do it, God. Because I want to do something important. I want to be able to lay claim to something that I can point to and say, I achieved that. But he doesn't. He says in verse 18, who am he it says that he went in and sat before the Lord. So he went into the presence of God and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord. He's continually repeating Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord. He's acknowledging that God has the authority to make the decisions. You have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant how great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. So David's going back to that invitation to know the greatness of God. He adopts a position of surrender. And you know, often when our own dreams are being reshaped and maybe it feels like they're being shattered, we don't have this clear dialogue from God. We don't have him showing up in our room, prophet coming in saying, you know, Amy, God's told me this, that, and the other thing. Sometimes we're fortunate enough that we do get prophetic words and we do get guidance in that way. But a lot of the time, what we're having to do is go back to the word, back to God's prior activity in our life and say, I don't understand why you're saying no right now. I don't understand why you're not opening that door or you're actually closing that one that I desperately wanted to stay open. But because I know you are good, you are a promise-keeping, faithful God, you are sovereign and you are great, and you are inviting me into something that is so much bigger, I'm going to trust you. You know, I do want to speak to the mums today, because motherhood has been one of the places that God has totally reshaped my dreams. My family has not been built in the way that I imagined at all. We have blended a family. We have fostered for two and a half years, thinking that it would be a forever thing, and then had to release that child. We have experienced miscarriage. I parent a child with chronic anxiety and depression. So many things about my motherhood journey have required me to surrender, not just the dream of what I wanted my family to look like, but what I have wanted for each of those children. And we don't always know how those stories are going to end in the here and now, tomorrow, next week, next month. And we have to come back to God, you are sovereign, God, you are good, God, you are great. And I will trust you like David trusted you to build his house and to build his family. I will come into your presence and I will partner with you and I will believe that you can build something beautiful in my family. If you are a mum who is looking at your family or the family that you are wishing you had, can I encourage you today to do what David did and go and sit before the Lord? Go and sit in his presence and worship him. Let him minister to you and trust him to reshape your dreams. The thing about surrender, though, is it isn't passive. And it's not resignation. Resignation carries no hope. It is a case a, a fatalistic kind of whatever God wants to do, I guess. Surrender is filled with that hope that we've been talking about. It says, if this isn't going the way that I thought it should, if God is asking me to lay down this dream, if God is asking me to trust in this place, because I know who he is, this covenant-keeping, faithful God who doesn't lie, I'm going to surrender it and I'm going to have a confident expectation that God is going to do something greater than I imagined. I might not see it in this lifetime, but when I get to heaven with him, I am going to look back and I'm going to see how he has woven this all for my good and his glory. So surrender is not passive. It invites us. Dreaming invites us to make an investment. You know, David amazes me because he doesn't get to do this thing. He doesn't get to do this dream that he has. He's told, your son gets to do it. And do you know what David then goes on to do? He spends his latter years basically stockpiling everything that Solomon is going to need to carry out this dream that his father had. In 1 Chronicles 28 verses 8 to 12, David comes and he charges Solomon, as Solomon is about to take the throne, to follow all the commands of the Lord his God. He's saying, I want you to possess what God has promised you, so you're going to need to be faithful. He's passing on his wisdom. He's passing on the things that he has learned as king. And he says, My son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you. There's no like competition going on here. There is no kind of bitterness that his son gets to do this. He says, the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong. Do the work. And then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico. He has drawn with the Holy Spirit all the blueprints that Solomon is going to need. He has stockpiled the riches, and he has set his son up for success. Dreaming with God requires us to be willing to make investments in the dreams that he's given us, but also in the dreams of those around us. We've got to get our egos out of the way. There is no competition in the kingdom. You know, that very first temple that was built brought together generations and different cultures. David dreamed up this idea. He prepared all the resources. Solomon built it. The Israelites gave generously and were part of those who built it. But did you know foreign kings also gave materials and sent down their skilled artisans? In the very first temple, we see Jew and Gentile coming together. And that first temple foreshadows the temple that is Christ, the temple that we now also are because we are the body of Christ, where all these promises are brought together. Jew and Gentile come together as one to be the temple, to be the body. And every single thing that was contributed to that first temple, whether it was a dime in the offering, I've been working with Americans too long, a dollar in the offering, whether they were the ones out there, you know, cutting the wood, doing the hard labor, whether they were supervising, whatever their role was, whatever they gave, it mattered. And that temple wouldn't have been built without their contribution. Your contribution, your willingness to dream with God matters. And every part that each one of us plays is important. Finally, I just want to say this. Dreaming is bigger than you and me, as we've seen. And what it invites us to become is a tree of life. You know that verse, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It ends with, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. What does a tree do for others? It provides shade, it provides rest, it provides beauty, it provides fruit. When you accept God's invitation to be a dreamer with him, to know his greatness, to be willing to see the bigger picture, to look beyond your own lifetime out into the expanse of eternity. When you will surrender and make an investment, your life becomes a tree of life. You know, about a year after that episode where I couldn't do that dream collage, I went to a conference and... That was when life was really falling apart and we were having to transition our nephew and I just felt utterly broken. And my girlfriend had gone with me. She said, I know this woman over here. Just let her pray for you. And I went over and this lady said to me, I just feel like I need to brush disappointment off your shoulders and release you to dream again. She didn't know my story. She didn't know that for me dreaming felt impossible, maybe even a cruel form of torture. She brushed disappointment off my shoulders as a prophetic act. And in that moment, something shifted. I decided that I was going to make my own dream collage. I went home, I took several weeks, flicking through different magazines, and honestly, it took a long time for me to be able to remember what it was like to dream. And I made this dream collage about 10 years ago now and none of it was particularly grandiose. I wanted a home and I put words of what I wanted that home to feel like for my family. I wanted my marriage to be healthy. I wanted time with my kids. I wanted to be able to be generous and sow into other people because I was tired of being the one that people were sowing into. And I wrote that I had a story to tell, that I wanted to write books. And You know, I found this last year, and as I looked over those different things that I had dared to believe with God could be possible, I was amazed. Not everything on this board is yet fulfilled but so much of it was, was it in the way that I anticipated? No, the way God gave me time with my kids is he asked me to homeschool for three and a half years. I said I would never homeschool, but it was a gift. And I look back and I'm like, God, you fulfilled a desire of my heart. I recently released my first book. You know, and these things, yes, they've brought life to me, but ultimately... They've brought life to others. And so what I wanna encourage you with today is God wants to invite you to dream with him. The the question is, will you? And as the team begins to play and we just move into a bit of a time of ministry, there were two groups of people that I've really had on my heart. The first is those of you who are where I was and dreaming feels impossible. And I believe God wants to brush that disappointment off your shoulders. And he wants to release you to dream again. You know, it was several years of deep heart surgery to become a dreamer. It wasn't an overnight thing, but God's grace was there every step of the way. And all the things that I have shared with you this morning that he invited me to know have been my reality and they can be yours. The second group is Those of you, you have a dream, you've had this thing stirring in your heart and you know what it is that God is inviting you to partner with him in, but you haven't taken a step. You haven't put that stake in the ground that Rachel talked about. And I wanna invite you today to commit that you're gonna make an investment into this dream. Maybe it's your dream, maybe it's the dream of somebody you know and love and you know that God is asking you to do something to help realize that dream. But as the worship team plays, I wanna invite you, if those are you, if you need disappointment brushed off your shoulders, if you need permission to dream again, we wanna pray with you. If you wanna come forward and say, Lord, I'm coming forward as a sign of my commitment that I'm gonna put a stake in my ground and I'm gonna dream with you, then we'd love to pray and agree with you as you take that step of faith. There are dreams in this house that aren't just gonna bring life to Coast Vineyard, they're going to bring life to the coast and to this nation. It is your birthright, church, to dream those dreams.